This chapel message is brought to you by the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. Well, I've been waking up early the last two or three days, and God's been putting something on my mind, and it's kind of a different thing than I've done in chapel before. You know, one of the things as you get older, and I turned 72 this month, uh, you know, most of my life it was either focused on the present or the future, and uh, what I need to do now and what God needs, uh, wants me to do in the future and, and where we're trying to go, that was true here at CMDA and every other place. Uh, but the last few days, I have really had God focusing me on the past. And, and in the sense of his interventions, his blessings, and, and the more he's brought this to the mind, the more I realize and am amazed with what he's done in me and through me uh, over the years. And it's not just because of me. I mean, it's because of whatever... Uh, his interventions, his blessing, his grace. Uh, as you look back and see how he wove all these things together, and it brought two verses to mind. Isaiah 25, 1. Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name, for in perfect faithfulness you have done wonderful things, things planned long ago. In Psalm 44, 5, 4 and 5, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. What I wanted to do this morning is just praise him. And I, I look back and, and there's so many places where if something a little different had happened, getting uh, with, I wouldn't be here. I, I don't know if I've, I may have shared this before, but... I learned just recently my grandfather Harmon was in World War I. And uh, he ran messages between lines when the phones went down. I think I told you about this. And anyway, there, a shell hit. He was with a platoon on the road. Everybody was flung every which direction. And as far as they know, were killed. The next day, they came by to get the dead bodies and found my grandfather alive. If that had happened, I wouldn't be here today. God, through the generations, was beginning to plan. I think of my grandpa Stevens. He almost never got married. He met a girl down in Arkansas, fell in love with her. He had a train pass because he was a, a grease monkey on the railroad fixing, and he could go anywhere free on a train in the United States. And a friend took him down to Arkansas. He met a girl. And she told him he wasn't marrying, she, he, she wasn't going to marry him until uh, she had taken care of her sister's kids. And Grandpa waited for 10 years. How many people in the 1919s would wait 10 years to get married for a girl that didn't even live close? And there's no cell phones, there's no internet, there's no, they were writing letters. If he hadn't stuck with it, I wouldn't be sitting here. I think about my mom. Her dad got back and had shrapnel up his back and long time recovering, ended up working in a coal mine till that closed, depression happened. He was going odd job to odd job, finally became a sharecropper. They lived what ate whatever was in the garden. And Grandpa Harmon really wasn't a, a Christian, I think, at that point, nor was his wife. But my mom's Aunt Hazel, my great Aunt Hazel, was a school teacher, loved the Lord, took an interest in my mom, gave her books 
I remember mom saying, I just wished I'd get a toy for Christmas. She always gave me books. <laughs> but she, she just uh, put, saw potential in my mom and uh, then sent her to a Youth for Christ camp. That's where she came to Christ. And later on, her whole family, through, through my mom's witness, came into that same blessing. And, uh, and she was the one that talked to my mom and said, I want you to go to college and paid her way to go to Asbury. My mom got on a train in Pennsylvania, never been on, out of the state, and went all the way down to Kentucky. If that hadn't happened, I wouldn't be standing here. My dad was in World War II, and um, he was a student at UK, University of Kentucky, didn't know the Lord, history major, and went home one weekend, and a, a church, one of his friends said, hey, I'm going to this youth group over there. We're having a lot of fun. We're playing games, doing all sorts of stuff. And dad went over with the youth group at a church there that he had never been to before and came to Christ because of the message that was preached that night. If that hadn't happened, I wouldn't be standing here tonight. It's, you just look back in amazement how God weaves your life together. Hey, finish the war was in India and Philippines and got a real interest in renting to people to Christ overseas and uh, came back and went to Asbury and God called him into the ministry and went and pastored a church and was very successful. When he died 25, 30 years later, people from that church still came to his funeral. They came to my mom's funeral 50 years later that they had had an impact on their life. And yet God called him and he said yes and went into evangelism with no paycheck, no salary, and uh, three kids in a trailer. If he hadn't do that, I wouldn't probably be sitting here today, standing here today. You just see how God wove it together. If, if that layperson from New Jersey hadn't invited him to go on a mission trip in 1962 when this didn't happen, and he got a passion for missions, I never ended up on the mission field. You just see, looking back, how God was just putting pieces together for my life because it says faithfulness continues through all generations. It makes me think about my grandkids. We got two in a living right now. How is my faithfulness now going to impact their lives? I remember those years traveling to camp meetings with dad in the summer. That's the time when we could all be together. I had more Bible school education than anybody in my, probably ever did, because we were always in this youth group at camp meetings all summer. I wonder if dad hadn't met Jimmy Gibson. Jimmy Gibson was an evangelist. They were friends. They occasionally saw each other at the grocery store. And one day Jimmy Gibson turned to him and said, guess what we're doing with our boys? We're sending them down to a Christian school in Florida. And it's really excellent. And my dad got in his head after he talked to mom that they should do the same thing with us. That was such a formative experience in my life. This is 1965. People didn't go somewhere else to go to boarding school. That was rare. My mom and dad had to sacrifice. I found the other day that it cost $22,000 a year to send us to Hampton DeVos Academy, my mom made $5,000 a year as a teacher. And they sent all three of us. I don't know how they did it. But the impact that it had on my life, it, uh, I don't think I'd be here today if it hadn't been that. They made us do everything so you weren't afraid to do anything. 
Let's say that again. Everybody did everything. You sang in the choir, you did every sport, you did public speaking, you did everything. And when you got finished with it, you weren't afraid to do anything. And God was getting me ready for what he had for me the rest of his life. I was in on the debate team. I never thought, I'd, I never knew I was going to be doing ethics, going on television, head to head with people over ethical issues. But God was preparing even way back then for what he had in store for me. What if dad hadn't taken me to a mission trip my freshman year, after my freshman year in high school? What if God hadn't used that to call me into medical missions? You just see how God is weaving these things together as you look in a retrospect way and getting you ready for what he has in store. What if there hadn't been that revival at Asbury my freshman year? when I came down to the altar and completely surrendered my life. I probably wouldn't be standing here today. God worked something in my life that's continued on for over 50 years. He could have done that revival at some other time, but he did it while I was there. And it made an enormous impact. What if I, you know, I studied all the time. You do that in pre-med. I mean, I did some leadership, you know, class stuff and a few other things. But one day, one guy invited me down to go to the gym, a gym I'd never been to. It was in the bottom of the large girls' dorm. And I don't even remember what we do. I think we wrestled or did something. I don't know. And it was while I was down there that I saw Jody. What if that hadn't happened? There's not too many women that come up with me. Uh, in our life together, but God knew what I needed. And he took me down there at night so I could find it. God was weaving it all together. My first and second year, I sold books door to door. I think I've shared that with Southwestern Company based in Nashville and worked 75 hours a week and that dogs chase you and people slam the door in your face and selling Bibles, family Bibles, Naves topical references. And I made good money. I made, I made as much money my first year doing that as my mom made teaching for a whole year. But you know what God really was doing? He was getting me able to just talk to anybody about anything. And being personable and how to make friends. And, and he used what they taught us, how they motivated us. We didn't get paid a penny. It was all commission. He, they motivated us to do that. And the ways they motivated us were the ways I motivated my community health helpers in Africa. God was getting ready long before I knew what I was going to be doing. He was weaving it all together. That summer I spent in Kenya after my junior year at Asbury was so transformative. What if Dr. Sturry, as busy as, what, as he was, hadn't taken a special interest in me and just let me fall him around and gave me a hero, a person to pattern my life after. My dad was that and Dr. Sturry was that. And uh, when I came home, I knew that's where God wanted us. That summer was transformative in my life. We, went and went under a preliminary appointment with the mission I did when I got back 
even though I was seven, eight years of education yet to go and, and bought into the fact that this was where God wanted me to serve. I had no doubt in my mind, what if that hadn't happened? What if dad hadn't said to me, you need to get some experience and I happen to know a doctor. I didn't know Dr. Sturry. Dad put that all together and it transformed my life. What if we hadn't gotten out of medical school and residency without any debt? And we'd stayed here and tried to work off that debt. I may never have gotten to the mission field, but God, through his mercy and grace, we finished and didn't owe a penny to anybody, which is unusual even back in those days. What if he hadn't sent me to the right family practice residency, which I think gave me the best training I could have gotten for what he wanted me to do? And then we moved into the deputation, raising funds. Well, I sure knew how to meet people. I had told gone door to door trying to get people to buy something. But you know what really made the difference? Because my dad, being an evangelist, he'd been in hundreds of churches. And as you, that's where we raised our funds. In fact, we raised three times as much money as we needed to go to the field. I thought, wow, this is great. World Gospel Mission had a thing where you could transfer money from your ministry account to any project that was approved, and God used that money to do all sorts of things when we got to the mission field that I never imagined. And God had that planned out before we even got there. Why did Dr. Sturry thrust me into leadership so early? We hadn't been back at the hospital working for a year until he turned to me and said, I'd like you to be the medical superintendent. We'd been talking about reorganizing the hospital and making he should be CEO, and he said, well, if that's the case, I want you to be the medical superintendent. And all of a sudden, I was in a leadership position at a very young age. I was in my early 30s, managing staff. God was getting me ready for what he had in store. I didn't see that. I thought, I'm just helping Dr. Sturry out and taking some of the burden off him, but God had a, a bigger plan. And then that day, he turned to me and said, uh, we really need to do something about all this preventable disease that we're seeing, and, and I want you to start a community health program. And some of you know Susan Carter, and asked Susan to do that full-time and me to work with her as the director. And God used all those things in the past to help us put together a program. I knew nothing about public health other than to immunize kids and don't drink dirty water. And we begin to try to educate ourselves. And then we begin visiting other hospitals, see what they were doing and learning. But we still weren't ready. We began to put a plan together. And then God intervened. God intervened. We didn't have money to do it. How are we going to even fund this? And hire people to, to work with us. And how are we going to mobilize all these volunteers? And as I've shared before, I got a call from up at the one of the staff saying there's a Somebody up here to the hospital to see you, and Mark Jacobson, a, uh, with an MPH from Johns Hopkins, funding from USAID, walked into our door unexpected, and he'd heard from somebody that we were trying to start something. And here, as we began, some of the best expertise in the world and funding from USAID, and that program just exploded, and people's lives were changed, not only health-wise, but with evangelism. God did that. Why? Why did he use me? I didn't have the training to do that. Why, why did I get to be part of it? But God had a plan. And within eight years, we had reached over 300,000 people door to door. 
one-on-one, not once, but multiple times, and changed the health and the hearts of so many people. And because of that relationship with USAID money, the ambassador came, we got relationships with the embassy, and all of a sudden we had the doors open to get money for other projects, which we'd never done before. All the money in the past had come from churches or personal relationships, but God did that. I've told you about the hydro project, which was so transformative. That had been a dream since 1931. This is 1985. When Dr. Sturry turned to me and said, why don't you put this together? I laughed. I laughed. I knew nothing about hydroelectric. How, where would I even start? I, I'll pray with you, Ernie. I'll pray with you. And then Marilyn Kinlaw showed up at the door two weeks after we got back. And because uh, I'd encouraged her husband and her to go and do a rotation at Tenwick before we ever got there, she knew about that and said, you need to go. There's an engineer here in town, and I think they built a hydroelectric project, and you should go talk to him. He's visiting his in-laws. What's the chance of that? I mean, how does, it is just so obvious God had intervened and done something. You know what the key was to the phenomenal growth of Tenwick Hospital from a Bush hospital to what it was a day? It was that project. It saved a quarter of our budget and allowed us to do other things, and it saved people's lives because for the first time we had electricity 24 hours a day. You cannot build and run a hospital the way you should if you don't have 24-hour electricity. And God did it above and beyond anything I ever imagined. And we didn't have nurses, and so now we had a quarter of our budget available to start a nursing school, and God brought the right people. And the funding and the approvals from the government. Here at this little Bush hospital, how are you in the world going to start a nursing school? And I was just looking the other day, they now have 150 students a year, and they're training not just enrolled community nurses, but registered nurses. They're specializing in cardiac nurses and intensive care nurses and PAs and all these things. And it all started with a couple nurses and me back in the late 80s who could imagine what God was going to do and how he used those people to minister not only to physical needs, but to spiritual needs. God just does, I just look back in amazement. The head of World Medical Missions, Guy Davidson, contacted me and said, I'm going to tour some hospitals. Would you like to go with me? This was in the late 80s in Africa, and we had met each other. And I thought, I don't have time to do this. I don't have time. And uh, he convinced me to go, and we went to hospital to hospital. And as we did, I found these hospitals that just didn't have hardly any kind of Christian outreach. They were mission hospitals. They were doing good medicine, but they had a pastor come in one day a week. And from that came the idea to start a chaplaincy training school at Tenwick. And Samaritans first funded and brought chaplain and people from all over the continent to reach out with the gospel. And then God brought me to World Medical Mission. Something I never imagined, never really wanted to do. God did that. And you look back on those days. I uh, just talked to a doctor from Mauritania this week. She called and was talking to me about some advice and challenges she was facing. She's a surgeon. She didn't have a surgical suite. In fact, she didn't hardly have any staff. She does surgery in a little room and sterilizes her own instruments and has no help. She said, but you know now we've got uh, 
we've got, we've got all the equipment and you're going to actually have an operating room. She said, you know, we got that from Samaritan's Purse. And I thought for a second, I started that program because all the problems we had with, with equipment at Tenwick. And it's grown huge and provide equipment all across the world. God brought me there, and now you still see the ripples of what he was doing. Uh, the people that were impacted as they went out uh, to minister in mission hospitals around the world. Um, I, I look at and see all the stuff from Samaritan's Purse and what's going on in the Ukraine with all the medical stuff they're doing there. And think about it, and Gene and I started that medical work. We didn't realize what God was going to do with it. Franklin just said, do you think we could do something? And, you know, I was in Somalia and Sudan, and Jean was in Rwanda, and now it's spread all across the world. You see how God weaves things together. It was only, it's Samaritan's Purse for two and a half years, but God had a purpose in it. One of them was meeting Jean, meeting John Embody, and we praying together and never imagining that we would be working together most of our careers and what God had in store for us here uh, that's where I first dealt with the media. When I was in Somalia, I'd get off the, the plane in Charlotte, and there would be people there with microphones from the media, and that's where I never imagined I'd be doing hundreds and hundreds of media interviews, but God was getting me ready. That's where we met the Gregories. I had a staff, new staff member come, and she traveled with her sister, and they came down from Pennsylvania, and she said, oh, we stopped, and my sister used to babysit this guy named Joe Gregory, and they have something up in Virginia now, and they're called General of Medicine and Vaccines, and maybe you should go talk to them and get to know them. Maybe they could help us with some of our projects, and lo and behold, I did, and we built a relationship, and I took Joe Gregory with me on a mission trip when I was at World Medical Missions to East Africa, and then one day when I flew in here after coming the head of CMDA unexpectedly, I heard Joe was in town and they'd started a pharmaceutical company and I started to stop by and see him and say hi. If I hadn't done that, you wouldn't be sitting here today. It was just an idea of I got some time, why not go say hi to Joe? But God was doing something. God was getting me ready for CMDA all those years. And it's not something that I desired. And, I, you know, I found out later who the other three candidates were. All of them... When they were looking for a new CEO, the finalists were all people that had been involved in CMDA for years and leadership positions, 10, 15 years older than me. Why did they pick me? Why did they pick me? My work with CMDA at that point was going to the Continuing Medical and Dental Education Conference and speaking, and I had been to one CMDA national meeting to speak, and that was it. Why did they pick me? Why did Gene agree to come after I got here? It was a mess. CMDA was in a mess financially, all kinds of issues going on. And Gene came. We wouldn't be where we were today if Gene hadn't joined me. John Embody, we wouldn't have public policy if John probably hadn't come. He's the one that walked in my office and said, let's send out a news release when this happens. We've got an ethics statement on this. You see how God just weaves things together with the right people brought us together in a prayer group in my office, never realizing he was going to use us to make CMDA what it was, to, what it has come today, and having a part in that. It just blows you away when you look back. I'm just amazed at what God's done. 
And you look back in the last 25 years, and I could go on and on, and how he intertwined, brought some of you people here, key individuals that helped. I mean, when I got to CMD, or new people wouldn't know, but we had a big mission thing called Medical Group Missions. They broke off, and, and uh, we set them free, and it was a very difficult year, and God was getting ready to do something. What I thought was a disaster was an opportunity. And uh, I remember when I turned to Sam Malin, who was on the board, and asked him to go on. I, I was doing the mission trips back in those days. I was leading the mission trips. We were working with some other organizations. We really didn't have our own program. And we started doing a few, and I was leading them. And I said, Sam, had a board meeting. I said, Sam, would you have time to go with me to, and recruit some dentists? I'm going to Zambia. Sam said, sure. Most of you don't know Sam Malin. He's a fire plug. And uh, I saw him sharing the gospel and uh, leading people to Christ and how he handled all the dental stuff. And I had this bright idea. When I got back about a month later, I thought, I'm going to ask him if he'll come and start a mission program for us. We didn't have one. Sam was on the national board of oral surgeon examiners. He had a huge private practice with partners. His wife was handling the crisis pregnancy center. He was chief of staff at the hospital. They had built a house and lived up in New England their whole lives. And I called him up and said, will you give all that up and come down here and start a mission program? And he did. Those of you involved in GHO today wouldn't be there if it hadn't been for that. But God was weaving it all together. I could go on and on, but I want to praise him for what he's done. I want to thank him. I got to be a part of it. I'm thankful you get to be a part of it. God's not finished yet. It's not just about what he's done in my life. It's what he's doing in your life. He has weaved you into the fabric of this ministry. When I look back, I would say this. I'm nothing special. I didn't deserve what he did. But God let me be a part of it. And I had no idea where it was going. And I want to thank him today. You know what the keys are? This is what I'd say to you. Number one is obedience. Being completely sold out and trying to be attuned to his voice. Willing to do whatever he asks, no matter what it is. Sometimes when it doesn't even make sense. That's what it takes to be in the center of his will and see him work in and through you and through the lives of others. Secondly is faithfulness, Hebrews 12, 2. And let us run and let us persevere the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus and pioneer, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. It wasn't all easy. It wasn't all easy. Some of it was very hard. But God asked us not to be successful, but to be faithful. Do that hard work. Colossians 3.23, wherever you do, whatever you do, work it with all your heart. It's working for the Lord, not for human masters. He doesn't promise that it'll be a bed of roses, but he'll promise he'll be there and he'll sustain you and he'll help you do what he's asked you to do. Boldness, willingness to take risk. We're into security too much in this country, and we secure ourselves in many ways. I thought about that when I wrecked my car. Well, thank God I've got insurance, right? There's nothing wrong with insurance, but God doesn't call us to secure our lives. He calls us 
to do what he asks us to do and take risks for the kingdom. Romans 8, 31 and 32, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? And through prayer, through prayer, that's the fuel that feeds the fire of God's work in your life and through your life. Not only pray to him, but get other people to pray for you. And I think of the hundreds and hundreds of people that faithfully prayed for us in every stage of our ministry. Thank the people that pray for this ministry every day. And God answers prayers personally and corporately as we serve him. Romans 8, 28, 29, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you've done in me and through me over the years. I didn't deserve it, and what a blessing you've been in my life and in my family and ministry. I thank you for each person here, and Lord, you you're doing the same in their lives as well. Deepen their relationship with you. Help them to look back and remember your blessings. Help them to move forward, remembering your promises, realizing that you love them, you want to use them, and you've put them in a sphere of influence where they can make a difference. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of serving you. The journey is marvelous. And we thank you in your son's name. Amen.